All right. Well, happy Easter. He is risen. All right, let's try that one more time. We can do better. I just know it. We've got to, we've got to get this right. Well, happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, much better. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to be uh, opening up Luke's gospel this Easter morning, and we're going to be following along as Luke records for us uh, his accounts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, of the tomb being empty, um, and all that he records. And so we're going to be picking up in verses uh, 36. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can follow along as I read. The verses will be uh, on the screens uh, behind me. But essentially, uh, just to kind of catch you up, I don't have time to read all, all of it. But essentially, uh, Jesus has been crucified. Um, his disciples and all of the followers of Jesus think that the movement is over. They're sad. Uh, they don't understand what's going on. They thought that Jesus was their Messiah. They saw Jesus do incredible things. And so this story, Luke picks up, uh, and it's following the, ver the verses we're going to pick up on is uh, Jesus has this encounter then, the risen Lord Jesus, with these two individuals. We don't know if they're two men, two women, uh, a man and a woman on the road uh, of Emmaus. And then these two individuals that have this encounter with Jesus essentially run back to the upper room where the disciples were still hiding and were in fear of their lives that their fate would be the same of Jesus, the one that they were following. And these two burst into the doors and they want to uh, talk about the fact that Jesus is alive um, and that he has come again. And so... Uh, we're going to pick up Luke 24, uh, verses 36, and I'll read through 49. And as they were talking about these things, the two on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave them a piece of broiled fish. And he took it. And ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I had spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm going to send you the promise of my father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now I wonder this Easter morning... If you noticed as we read those verses, the question that Jesus addresses to his followers in that upper room, he says to them this, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Isn't that a wonderful question? And that question here today, this Easter morning, may be just the very question that you may have this morning. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise and creep up in your hearts? So, see, many of us, we come to Easter Sunday, and it's, it is marked with celebration. It is marked with joy, and it should. But many of us today might find ourselves troubled. Many of us may find ourselves today doubting. Maybe even doubting this story itself. Maybe doubting something out in front of you. Maybe troubled by life itself. Maybe troubled by the last year we've had to endure. Maybe troubled that, are these things written in this all true? Is who he says really who he is? And it's comforting to know here today that the risen Lord Jesus is very alert to that which troubles you and to all the things that you doubt. Isn't that amazing? So Luke, Luke is an honest telling of this account, right? And Jesus comes to these disciples and he is not met with great joy and Jesus is not met with the warm welcome there in that upper room or even on the road to Emmaus that's before this story. Jesus is received with fear and shock and doubt and trouble. And this matches their earlier reaction, which was one of unbelief. Unbelief, trouble, doubt, fear. Um, it's a reminder that these disciples, these that walked with Jesus, after all the instruction that they had from Christ, after all the teachings that Jesus had given to them, after all the things they witnessed Jesus do, they do not show up at the end of this story in the very last chapter, post-resurrection with flying colors at all, do they? They're not painted with a very good brush here. And in this little incident, even after Jesus has given them incontrovertible evidence of his materiality, that he's not a spirit, he says, it is I myself, right? Right? He says, you can touch me. You can give me something to eat and I'll eat it right in front of you. And then he connects the dots for them even. And he says, you know, ghosts and spirits don't eat fish. He's having to show them and, and, and point out all these things. And even after he does all this, their minds are still clouded and crowded by unbelief. And it's only when he explains to them the scriptures that the puzzle pieces in their minds begin to click into place. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus stands before them. He says, look at my hands and my pierced feet. Give me something to eat. I'm not a ghost. I'm really here. And it's only when he explains to them the scriptures that the disciples' hearts and minds begin to understand who this man really is. Now, I know that on a Sunday morning like this one, on an Easter Sunday morning, there are, there are those that may be sitting here this morning that when we tackle the question of the resurrection, there are among those in here that would say, oh, I, you know, that's great. You know, Easter's great. I love Easter bunnies and rabbits and all those things, and I love going to church on Easter Sunday. But I don't know, the resurrection, that's a tough pill to swallow for me to really believe. Um, 
You know what it would take for me, many, many of you would say, is I would just need Jesus to show up and for him to stand right there in front of me. Then, then I would believe. Do you really think so? Um, I want to let you know that you wouldn't. That if Jesus came today and held a rally in Market Street, uh, they would treat him the same way they treated him in Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago. Some would cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, and others would cry, crucify him. This man's nuts. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so we need to recognize in this passage uh, is the gospel of Luke. Luke, for those that don't know, the, the one that wrote this, this gospel down is a medical doctor, a scientist, if you will. And so Luke understood, he was well aware what it was to take a case, to, to, to uh, formally investigate everything that had happened, to write down his observations of everything that was proceeding forth from a certain case, right? So he was investigating, he was understanding, and he was writing it down. In fact, at the outset of the Gospel of Luke, he says, this book, this gospel is a product of my careful investigation of the facts as I saw them happen. That's what he tells us. And so when you read the gospel of Luke, there are a couple of things that immediately strike us this Easter morning. It's clear that we are dealing with historical matter. The things written down historically happen. That is not refuted by historians. Um, for example, Luke in chapter 3, he sets up the story as he's unfolding the gospel message in the context of the political and historical structures of the day. And all of those are true, historically accurate. And at the same time, here's where we maybe struggle sometimes. You have historical reality that is given to us. And at the very same time, you have a combination of the supernatural with the historical. So we have Luke writing down as he saw it, Jesus who walks on water, Jesus who is raising people from the dead, Jesus who's healing the leper. And it's unmistakable, and you cannot skip over those parts. You cannot remove those parts. There are some pastors today that will stand in pulpits uh, that are frankly embarrassed by the supernatural. Um. And they think that in hopes of attracting more people to their message, they've sought to dismantle the supernatural from the historical. And we get a Jesus and a gospel that has a lot of great stories uh, and a lot of great tradition, but is removed of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has risen and he has risen indeed. And to have a gospel... Minus the hard parts like we have today celebrating Easter morning is not Christianity at all. Uh, we are left with the tattered rags of just a naturalistic religion. That's be nice, do nice, and try your best, uh, and God will reward you in the end. That is not the gospel. Um, that gospel has no power to save that gospel has no power to change our dead hearts and minds and make them alive with Christ because he is alive and ruling and reigning now in glory, like we just sang about. Um, 
so unashamedly, we here, as we look at this and examine this, we are affirming wholeheartedly that the Bible is both historically true and supernaturally true. And so this Easter, I want to answer just three questions and we'll be done. What, so what, and now what? All right, is that fair? So that's kind of, that's, that's the roadmap, that's where we're going. So basically, what's happening here? So what? So like moving from description into the implications of it all, and then now what? Application, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a lot more time on the what than the last two. So just so you know that, in case you're doing the math and you're like, oh my goodness, we're not getting out of here until 2 o'clock, so don't worry. <laughs> the, the, the what is longer, and I'm going to just race through the last two, right, as I tend to do uh, when I realize I'm way out of time. So... This first incident, uh, when you open Luke's gospel in chapter 24, Becca read it earlier in our call to worship, uh, is the first 12 verses might be described as the morning at the garden tomb. The morning at the garden tomb. And so the ladies uh, that were around Jesus and were with Jesus and worshiped Jesus, they raced to the tomb. And they're confronted with the fact that the tomb is empty that the tomb is empty. And this is one issue that historians have to deal with, right? So all throughout history, no matter who checked, no matter who went to that tomb in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it is clear in history that Jesus was not where they left him. The tomb was empty that morning. That is a historical fact, so not only do we have an empty tomb, but we also have eyewitness reports that Luke is recording for us. John's gospel also records many of these. We have an account of Mary who's confronted with the empty tomb. She doesn't really know what's happening. She's like, where is he? Um, and then she meets Jesus. Jesus appears to her, and she sort of has a misunderstanding as to what's going on like you would expect to be encountered by the risen Lord Jesus, right? It's not surprising. And then she's convinced it's him. It's really him. He's back. And with joy, she runs back to the disciples, and she says, I've seen the Lord. The tomb is empty. He is risen. Uh, and remember, the disciples are not painted with very good colors at the end of the Gospels at all. Um, and they're like, Mary, you're crazy. What are you talking about? They're hiding for their lives. They think the Romans are coming for them. And basically, uh, essentially what they say is like, oh, this is what women do, right? It's the old, an old wives' tale. And then Mary's like, well, this is what men do. If you just believe me in the first place, we would have get past all of this nonsense, right? So it's this very human, real exchange of like, What's going on here? I don't believe you. Would you just believe me, right? It wasn't fabricated. And then you apply that encounter with the other records, especially in Corinthians, where he begins by saying that Jesus appeared to this person and to this person and to this person. And eventually Jesus personally appeared to over 500 people. And then last of all, Paul says, and he came to me. And I'm here to report you that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. He's alive. Uh, 1 Corinthians, that record that the Apostle Paul writes down was written in a matter of months after the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so there is a theory floating out there that the resurrection was an invention by this group uh, that sort of appeared over time. They came up with it over a long period of time, and then it just all got written down much later. The existence of 1 Corinthians, the dating of the book of when it was, the, of, the, of the manuscripts, disproves that argument by 1 Corinthians' very existence. The risen Lord Jesus was recorded and talked about months after the event happened. Um, but there's another little problem embedded in all of this. Uh, God doesn't see it as one. The culture would have at the time. Is that um, the gospel records all give us as key witnesses women. Uh, women in that context, in Jesus' day, their testimony was considered invalid in a court of law. Um, you couldn't and you wouldn't call a woman as a witness in a defense case in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. Um, it was regarded as invalid. So why, let me ask this Easter morning, if you were inventing something that would just be so believable uh, for your own benefit, would you use as your very key witnesses as your defense, whom by their very testimony alone would be regarded as invalid, as uh, upheld in a court of law. Women went to Jesus first. That's why, if you've noticed, we had women reading the scriptures to us. They went to the tomb first. They went and told the disciples first. Uh, we need to hear that message loud and clear, I think. Jesus highly values, the Lord highly values the witness and the understanding of women in the, in the kingdom of heaven. See, the whole notion that the disciples sort of fabricated this thing, that this whole thing is sort of nonsense, you gotta ask yourself this question also, if you're a skeptic in this place, if you are filled with doubts, if you kind of got brought here by someone and you really didn't want to, you've gotta ask yourself, well, why did they make it up? What, what benefit did it give to them? What did it serve them? What benefit did these early Christians have for standing on the claim that Jesus of Nazareth rose again on the third day and is alive? Did they become wealthy? Did they become significant in their culture? Did they build a megachurch platform and sell lots of books to their peers about the risen Lord Jesus? Were they made famous by this news? No. The absolute reverse is the case in history. Their lives, those that believed this, those that took by faith that Jesus rose again on the third day and that they believed the gospel and they went out and told other people that the true Messiah had come, where their lives were marked by deprivation, by hunger, by constant threat of death. Most of them, in fact, were killed for talking about it and proclaiming it and going out and saying, the risen Jesus is Lord above all. So what benefit was it to them? The first, excuse me, the first, some of the first Christian martyrs, Peter and Paul, they were in a very unique position 
to know whether their cause was a fabrication. Uh, and it was not. It was not something they believed because they kind of pumped themselves up to believe it. It wasn't like uh, my high school football days when coach would get around us and we didn't really know what was going to happen because we didn't know how good their team was. We, we kind of knew how bad we were, but he would be like, we got this, guys. And we would all, by the end of it, we'd be like, yeah, and we'd run out and still get creamed, right? <laughs> it's not, the disciples aren't doing this. Okay, Jesus, we're going to say he's alive. You ready? Let's do this. Ah, no. If they're not pumping themselves up to believe something that just isn't true. Um, they were confronted by something. These Christians were confronted by something. They were not pumping themselves up for something. They were confronted by an empty tomb. They were confronted by the testimony of many witnesses. They were confronted by the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. They were confronted by the very word of God. And so here we have two that are confronted by the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It's recorded in Luke 24. And as these guys make their way, or we don't know if they're guys, as these individuals make their way down the road... Jesus comes to walk beside them post-resurrection, okay? Their eyes are kept from recognizing Jesus. And Jesus basically looks at them and said, hey, so what's the word on the street, guys? Or y'all? It's gender neutral, right? Um, and Luke says in verse 17, chapter 24, that they stood still looking sad. And then they say to Jesus, like, you're the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on here. It's like the ultimate irony as you read the Bible. Because what's really going on is he's what's going on, right? And he's right there. And they're like, you must be the only guy that doesn't know what's happening here. It's just almost a comical exchange. And then Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, guess what? It's me. He doesn't do that. No. Um, he says, well, what things? Well, tell me about these things. Well, they say concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and they recount that he was a prophet, that he was mighty indeed. And they say we were convinced that he was the Messiah, that he was God, and then everything came to us, just a crashing halt. Because the one we thought was our Savior and Messiah is in a Palestinian tomb, and it's already the third day. It's over. They're sad. Um, and Jesus says, this is uh, my translation, you're a little slow on the uptick, aren't you? <laughs> right? Verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. This is a very interesting response. Jesus essentially looks at them and says, you don't believe your Bibles, do you? Isn't that interesting? You don't believe your Bible, do you? Um, you see, here's this idea again. I just need Jesus to show up and stand in front of me. Then I'll believe him. Uh, we wouldn't. If Jesus showed up, I think he would do the very same thing he does here. He doesn't say, surprise, look, it's me. 
he does a Bible study with them the first Easter morning. He opens the Bible, God's word. Why? Catch this this Easter morning. Because the confidence of heaven is in the word of God. Church. Our confidence in heaven is found in the very word of God. If you want to know God, if you want to know if God knows you, if you want to know what Jesus is like, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know where you've come from, if you want to know that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made, if you want to know all of these deep, most significant, most vital questions of life, where me, a sinner, where me, someone morally bankrupt, might find favor and forgiveness in the eyes of a mighty and just God, you've turned to the incredible, infallible word of God. Read the Bible, essentially, Jesus says. He says, you're slow, guys. Verse 26, he goes on. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all that the scriptures, that all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He says, he has a Bible study with these two guys, and he says, the whole thing is about me. Every word of it is about me. That's the two on the Emmaus Road. Uh, next little segment. In the evening, in the, upper in the upper room, the disciples in the upper room. So it's remarkable. As you read this transition, once the two on the Emmaus Road have been encountered with the risen Lord Jesus, it says their hearts burned with belief when Jesus opened up the Bible to them and had this incredible Bible study with them, and they knew and they believed it says uh, the real kicker was when, they, when he opened the scriptures for us and the, all the puzzle pieces fit into place. And so they're thinking, this is amazing. I've got the hot news. I'm, I'm gonna go tell all these folks. I'm gonna go tell uh, the disciples back in Jerusalem. They're hiding, they don't have to because Jesus is alive. And they run back and they're gonna inform everyone of this amazing news and they get back uh, and they're ba they basically are, <clears throat> excuse me, met with, we already know. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 who were with them gathered saying, the Lord has risen indeed. That's why we say he has risen. He has risen indeed. It's right there in the Bible. And these guys are like, man, that's not fair. He's walked seven miles to get here. We're exhausted. You already knew? Jesus should have told us, save us a trip. And then these guys told them what happened to them on the road, their encounter with Jesus, and how Jesus opened up the word. And he calmed their troubles and their fears and their doubts with God's word. Let me reinforce this again for us this Easter morning. The perplexity that the women faced at the garden tomb. If you remember, the answer that was provided was the angels said, don't you remember the word that he spoke? It's verse six. The angel said, hadn't you been paying attention to his word? Hadn't you, know, hadn't you heard the word spoken? So their perplexity was met by the word of Jesus. When you come to the Emmaus Road, the risen Lord Jesus, he, he, these, the scripture says these guys are in their misery and in their sad about the state of the world and Jesus addresses their misery and their sadness by his word, opens up the word of God. 
when you come to the uncertainty that is found in the upper room as he's standing in front of his disciples saying, look, it's me. Look at, the, look at my hands and my feet. Give me something to eat. Their doubts and their fears are again answered by the exposition of the scriptures. So let me address the so what quickly. So what? So this. Jesus is making it clear to these people. Jesus is making it clear to us this Easter morning that if you want to understand him, that you need to understand him in light of the big picture, in light of the scriptures. It's been the very plan of God that he would give us our confidence in heaven and all that he's done through the holy word of God. Moving on. Verse 45 through 47, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Who else can read the Bible and open it up and say, it's all about me. All the stories point to me. They're all a shadow of me. When you read it, you'll discover me. Only the risen Christ can say that. Only the risen Jesus can look at us and say, the Bible is all pointing to me. Your very hope is pointed in me. And so what? He says, a little while from now, you're going to go out and take this message because you know it to be true, because you've been confronted with the reality of it, and you're going to take it to the world. That's why we're sitting here today. The very fact that you are sitting here today is the fulfillment of what Jesus just spoke to his disciples long, long ago. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take this great message and tell others about the hope that they have in me. And I know we live in a day and age where people are like, hey, come on, settle down. Settle down, guy. You seem really intense, and okay, I get it. You really want to believe, and, but can't you just do you and I do me? Can we just live like that and all just get along? No. That's why we're doing this. Jesus has given to us a very mission. Not because we're amping ourselves up, but because we have an encounter with God above through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this message is to be proclaimed to the whole world beginning in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's just the beginning. Well, what are we supposed to say to people? We're supposed to say what Jesus said when he first started his public ministry. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? Jesus' call when he first started is repentance. Repentance means change your mind. Change your mind about who you think Jesus is. Change your mind about what you think the kingdom of God is. Change your mind about where you find your place in the kingdom of God. And believe in Jesus as the very merits by which you get there. Realize that when you face up to the death of Jesus on that cross that we celebrated at Good Friday, Jesus, catch this, is not dying as a good example to you. It's not this. It's not Christianity. Look, Jesus died, and he did a really good thing, so now why don't you do really good, nice things? That's not the gospel. Jesus died as a substitute in the place of sinners. 
It's a moral issue, not a psychological one. Christianity is not something to make you feel good. Christianity is something to make our guilt be cleansed and our moral wrong be made right so that we can stand in the presence of a very holy God who demands justice for sin and he poured it out on his only begotten son and the grave could not hold him and he got out of that tomb, risen and in power and now he calls men and women to himself and grants to us salvation, not on our own merits, but on what he did. The Bible is not a recipe for self-improvement. It is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done to save us from sin, the evil one, and death itself. And the resurrection accomplishes all of that. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Finally, now what? We're almost done. Um, now what? Uh, it's the simple question. Do you trust in your own morality to stand before a holy God? Or do you rest in God's mercy in the new life that Jesus extends to you, found only in faith and belief in that which he has accomplished for you? God does not reward good people who do nice things. Uh, God says welcome to those who place all their hope in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for you when you could not do it. Faith involves a personal commitment to God. It is not blind faith. It is not a leap of faith. It is a faith directed and aimed at the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's relationship. I can't think of a better day than today if you've not done that. To say, Jesus, I need you. I want to trust you. I want to be in relationship with you. There's no magic words you have to say but true belief in a heart that repents of your sin and says, Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And like the thief on the cross, on the merits of Christ, he can look at you because he's conquered death and say, yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. And very last thing, and this produces for us today great joy, the very last words of Luke's account. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. From sadness to trouble to doubt to despair to joy and worshiping. That's what the risen Lord Jesus does. The hope of heaven in Jesus Christ Trust him today if you haven't. Find your joy in him today if you've forgotten. Let's pray together, church. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered sin and death, that the tomb is empty, that you are alive, that you are ruling, and that you are reigning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given to us the truth of your word, we, that you've given us the gospel of grace, that we don't need to stand on our own merits but we stand on yours because you have defeated the very thing that is our greatest enemy, death itself, and you grant to us eternal life because he is risen. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship the risen Christ this morning.